Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 79 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week, we're speaking with David Rich, the founder and CEO of Lincoln and Grant. What's that? It's only the magazine I've been dying for. Ever since I quit reading GQ, Esquire, Men's Health, those magazines couldn't stop insulting me and my political beliefs. You'll find out more about David's new outlet shortly. This week's show is sponsored by the 2018 Emmy Awards. Let's just cut to the chase and give The Handmaid's Tale every piece of hardware we have. Before my chat with David, I want to talk a little bit about social justice warriors. They come up now and again on this podcast, and they've been on the march this week. They took a few scalps along the way. First, they successfully coaxed the Business Insider editors to spike a perfectly reasonable column. The column editor ran. They yanked it anyway. The column in question said that the studio behind a new trans-themed movie could hire Scarlett Johansson, as they did, to play the main character. The film in question is called Rub and Tug, and it follows a real woman's transitioning to become a man, and that man eventually oversees a massage parlor. Get it? Not only was the story killed, well, so was Johansson's participation in the movie. She just bowed out of the production, facing intense media pressure. I want to read part of her statement here. It really is important. In light of recent ethical questions raised surrounding my casting as Dante Tex Gill, I've decided to respectfully withdraw my participation in the project. Our cultural understanding of transgender people continues to advance, and I've learned a lot from the community since making my first statement about my casting and realizing it was, it was insensitive. I have great admiration and love for the trans community, and I'm grateful that the conversation regarding inclusivity in Hollywood continues. Is it me, or does that sound like a hostage note? In a way, it sort of is. Our culture is being held hostage by social justice warriors. Opposing views will not be tolerated. You know, and when the biggest actress in Hollywood bows to the PC pressure, you know there's a huge problem here. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Here's the celebrity tweet of the week. This week's winner is Joss Whedon. Welcome back, Joss. We've missed you. He's back in the winner's circle again for this slightly hyperbolic tweet tied to the nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Here we go. Even considering this nomination will cement the first American dictatorship. Hashtag Kavanaugh. <laughs> well, he's a great writer, isn't he? My hit tip of the week is Kaleidoscope. This very unusual 2016 thriller stars Toby Jones. He plays a sad sack on a date with a rather lovely young woman. Now, the tension in the date isn't exactly about first date jitters, the kind we usually expect. There's something else going on here. The story's narrative jumps around and around in true House of Pain style until you're really not sure what's going on. You do know it's creepy, though. I'm not going to spoil anything else about the story because I'm not really sure I got it. It's still bold, beautifully acted, and refreshingly different. That really matters in 2018 even if this movie's already two years old. You know, when it comes to movies like this, tone matters, and so does production value. The way this particular apartment looks, and this is where the bulk of the action takes place, it's amazing. It just You can just sense the, 
the desperation, the loneliness, the, the, the dirt clinging to the table and all the, the different pieces of furniture in the room. It, it really kind of gets to you. And that's, that's kind of how the movie works overall. This one's going to get under your skin. You may not understand it. I know I didn't, but I think you'll be appreciative that you checked it out in the first place. Kaleidoscope is available right now on Netflix. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Now let's get to this week's HitCast interview. A friend of mine recently emailed me about a new website slash magazine that's essentially GQ for conservatives. I was instantly hooked. I've subscribed to GQ for, for years, and then the magazine's liberal bias basically chased me away. I got sick of it. I, you know, I wanted to read about sports and how to, how to be the best man I could be and fashion and all sorts of cool things that appealed to me. But over and over again, the politics pushed me aside. And God, if you've read it lately, I know in the, at least the online version, it's a debacle. It's absolutely aggressive, in-your-face, utterly progressive, as if men couldn't be conservative and may want to read a men's magazine. Well, enter Lincoln and Grant. The upcoming magazine and website celebrates success, masculinity, not toxic masculinity, and dare we say winning without apology. That's a good thing, and this magazine is going to acknowledge that and celebrate it. David Richards is founder and CEO. He's got the right idea. I'm really impressed by everything he's got going on. I've learned a little bit about the behind the scenes uh, actions that are taking place here, and I'm impressed and I'm looking forward to what he has to say and what, the, what Lincoln and Grant will bring to the public at large. You know, if you want to fight the culture wars for people on the right, these are the kind of steps you have to take. We need something exactly like Lincoln and Grant to do some of the battling for us. Here's my interview with CEO and founder, David Rich. All right. Well, David, thank you for joining the HitCast. Obviously, I want to talk more about Lincoln and Grant, but I also want to talk about the origin of the project. When did this first come to you? When did it go from a kernel of an idea to, hey, this is something I genuinely want to pursue because we need this right now in the culture? It's interesting because I started this approaching it as more of a, a media business in general. And I was looking at different media models and exploring different media models. And then it was in the middle of the last election, I'd say, late 2015, early 2016, as we're watching the spread of fake news and the spread of all these other conversations and realizing we're not getting a lot of the conversations we really need to to push people in society to take on their own responsibility and take on the responsibility of moving the country forward and not just thinking that it's the president's responsibility to move us forward or not. Yeah. I've heard snippets from conversations with maybe President Obama, and I'm not blaming him for this, where people say, what can you do to help me with X? Well, that's not really what we're all about in America. It's often about kind of pulling yourself by your bootstraps. You know, I've had a lot of frustrations over the years with GQ and Esquire and different magazines, and I've subscribed to them all and I've unsubscribed to them all. Uh, Talk from your perspective, what did you find? What were you reading? What was kind of rubbing you the wrong way about those different publications in general? Well, there were some general things, but I think there were a couple moments for me where it really struck home. I believe it was the 2015 fall fashion issue of GQ when I flipped to the must-buys for the season. And they said the number one thing every guy should have this year is a faded green Henley (laughs) t-shirt. And even worse, that faded green Henley t-shirt costs $350. (laughs) And then a couple pages later, I'm flipping through and there was a one page article on what to wear to the gym. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not talking about what to wear at the gym. I'm not talking about 
how you work out. I'm talking about what to wear from your car to the locker room. (laughs) And on top of that, it was layers of hoodies and t-shirts and jeans and backpacks and jackets Mm -hmm. all added up to about (laughs) $2,700. Well, you'd sweat a lot. So there's there's a bit of a perk there. (laughs) You you need that. (laughs) And what really bothered me is I started thinking you have this culture now of people aren't wearing suits to the office anymore. Mm -hmm. They're doing sort of the Mark Zuckerberg hoodie. Even GQ has started promoting that as a fashion staple. And they're wearing the Zuckerberg hoodie to work. And GQ stopped promoting the idea of wearing a suit to work. For me, that's something that's always been very important. More than anything, because I look at it as a uniform. I grew up as an athlete and I grew up always playing sports. And I know that feeling of when you put your uniform on in the morning or before a game, your mentality changes. Mm -hmm. You're now in the mode of paying attention to that game. And that's all that's on your mind. And I think putting on the suit does the same thing for me in the morning. Whether it's suit and tie that day or not, you're still putting on clothes that tell you I'm going to work. And you're not thinking about the date you might be planning later in the evening or over the weekend. You're not thinking about that weekend hike or picnic or football game. It's about why you're there. And it puts you in that mindset of I'm here to work and I'm going to get something accomplished today. Yeah, I think a wise person once said dress for success. I remember I work from home now, but back in the day I was working at the Washington Times and just a simple act of, I didn't do the suit, but I did the shirt and the tie. Putting on that shirt and a tie, it did mean something. It was like you're transforming. And I was much younger then. I remember thinking, I feel like a grown up now. Like it was almost that transition for me that I couldn't think of myself as this young kid anymore, this millennial type, even though that was probably not even in vogue at the time. But it did have a transforming quality to it. I definitely see your point. I want to talk about both masculinity and toxic masculinity because the latter is certainly in vogue right now, at least the term is being used quite a bit, and I think in a fairly unhealthy way. But where do the two divide? Do you want to maybe just define them both real briefly? How would you kind of go from there? I think finding that common definition of what masculinity is, is really essential to the conversation. We've seen the videos where people are getting in debates about what is masculinity and how important is it. And the answer always seems to end up being masculinity is John Wayne riding a horse. To me, that's not masculinity. Masculinity is the things that are innate to men. They're the things that are inherent to us, like competition and trying to be the best, the willingness to take risks and the risks in order to reap those rewards. And what I think we end up seeing in a more masculine driven culture is really a race to the top where people look and say, I want to be the best at things and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to seek to achieve that. And really what we're seeing is instead when we talk about toxic masculinity or when people refer to toxic masculinity, they're essentially instead saying this idea of a race to the top isn't fair. So instead, we need to make everyone comfortable and everybody in society should sacrifice some level of success in order to make every single person feel comfortable and safe. Every single person has to be a part of things rather than allowing those who want to put in the work, who thrive in those scenarios to take the risks associated with success and really find a way to achieve great things. Instead, we do find this demand to find comfort in the lowest common denominator. And I think that's what we're seeing across society. And I don't necessarily think that's a feminine trait. And often people are going to say, well, if it's not masculine, it's got to be feminine. And that's really not the case. I think this rejection of masculinity is just a pure rejection of a desire 
to race to the top. And it's left a lot of people, men especially, but I think a lot of society, it's left them a little lost. It leaves them waking up in the morning thinking, what am I supposed to be doing today? Or what is my goal today? And how do I make today feel productive and worthwhile? I hear a lot of podcasts with entrepreneurs and their recurring theme. It's actually one specific question of a particular show, Entrepreneur Fire, EO Fire. I may be mingling the name a little bit, but talk about that failure moment. Talk about the time when you really fell in your face. And every time they speak to someone about that, there's always a but or a, and then I transitioned to this, or I needed that to get to this other place. It really matters and it really is important. I want to switch back to the GQs of the world. I think maybe that's my sort of go-to men's magazine and all its uh, problems. How are they dealing with toxic masculinity? Do they address it? Do they embrace it? Do they skirt around it? Where do you think they're standing, the Esquires and the details, or if details is even a thing anymore? Details actually closed down, uh, I want to say a year ago, maybe a little (laughs) more. But I think my problem with GQ more than anything, though, is they seem to be encouraging men to act like college kids for the rest of their lives. We've all heard sort of the ongoing joke about should GQ cover what to wear on the beach or what to wear to a summer cookout seems to be the most in-depth challenge that sometimes they face unless they're doing something to challenge President Trump. Instead, we don't see them encouraging the great success and the personal growth in men. Instead, we're seeing this ongoing push to make men remain acting like college kids the rest of their life. And I think what's ending up happening from that is men are lost. They're drinking all the time. They're still acting like they're in college. And it kind of fits in, as we talked about that Zuckerberg hoodie earlier, that kind of fits in with the whole model. If I wore a hoodie to class, why wouldn't I wear a hoodie to work? We're no longer evolving in terms of maturity. We're no longer growing up. And I think some of these men's magazines are really at the core of that. They're really focusing on how do we just make men college kids for the rest of their lives. What's interesting, though, is as we go back to that conversation about sacrificing success in the interest of comfort, there is a natural connection between the two. And it's hard for me not being in those offices and not being in the senior meetings to know if that's intentional or not. But there is clearly a correlation between the ideas that we are encouraging men to continue to act like college kids without really seeking growth and self-improvement. And simultaneously, we're trying to make things more comfortable for those who don't necessarily embrace competition and a more intense work environment that men typically thrive in. And then we just saw them really embrace a far left image during the last election. They went so far as to call Donald Trump Jr. names, Ben Carson. There was the F word. F word. (laughs) Ben Carson is your sole headline. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not even journalism anymore. Yeah. You had articles saying, or a Facebook headline rather, that said this election was shows that in the United States, it's angry white men, 44, America (laughs) won. And there was really nothing about embracing the competition of the election or the competition of anything else. It was, we have to have an election that is about letting people just kind of take a step back, not work as hard, not do as much, 
And in exchange, they'll put in a government who's going to supposedly take care of us, which mm-hmm. we know what happens when we go down that road. Yeah. The culture changes so quickly now. I think my personal habits have evolved. I used to be the guy who'd ran to the end of the driveway to pick up my newspaper. I don't do that anymore, partly because the local newspaper here in Denver is terrible. But even I think if it was better than it could be or should be, I wouldn't do it. Like I've evolved. I've changed. I mean, I used to subscribe to GQ and I quit because of the politics. It just didn't speak to me. And it got in my face in a way I thought was not really helpful. But I also think that that GQ that I used to subscribe to probably would be unrecognizable compared to the one today. When did this change happen? Has it been gradual? Has it kind of, is it on steroids right now? Talk about the evolution of it. I actually think it might've started and we just didn't realize it back around the housing bubble. Late 2008, 2009, maybe early 2010, 11, we started seeing this vitriol towards Wall Street. Mm -hmm. It was the 99% rallies and it was the real hatred for Wall Street. And I think before that, GQ was sort of considered that magazine that catered towards the Wall Street crowd. It was the nice suits. It was the nice cars. It was the nice vacations. It was relationship advice, but it was business relationship advice too and how to talk to people. And I loved reading it too. I was a subscriber for years and had always looked at it originally as sort of a source of ideas. And then all of a sudden, it almost seemed like they didn't want to be associated with Wall Street anymore. And when that happened, they started to make those changes. And I don't think a lot of us realized it probably for another four or five years. Interesting. You know, I think the Occupy Wall Street movement, which burned out very quickly and had a lot of violence, a lot of ugliness to it, you could say it was a failure. It didn't live very long, but I think it really did get in the DNA of a lot of people. I think a lot of journalists as well. So let's play devil's advocate here. Let's just say that Okay, GQ leans to the left, and maybe you shouldn't get your politics from there if you're a conservative. But so what? They still have good X or Y. Why do we need a Lincoln and Grant at this point if there's already a men magazine market out there? Well, I think part of it is there were positive benefits that came from the conversations that used to be in GQ, like the ideas of how to dress. Or when you talk about the vitriol towards Wall Street and the Occupy Wall Street movement, they also stopped talking about finance and investing. They stopped talking about how to make money and how to be a productive member of your family and your community and the nation by investing and things like that. I think one of my biggest concerns about the under 40 crowd in America is that very few people are involved in the stock market. We don't have jobs nearly as often anymore that have 401ks and retirement plans, and people just don't have the capital to get in or the understanding of what to do if they got into the market. Instead, they're just looking for that next Facebook that they can build or be a part of. And I think that's led to a lot of the anger towards Wall Street. But there is a whole other side to this country and some foundational values and foundational principles that really made us what we are. It's the things that led to the Industrial Revolution. It's the things that led to the elimination of slavery. It's the things that led to so many great things in this country. And GQ is teaching people more of a side of why those things are bad. And I believed we needed to start Lincoln and Grant because we needed to start refreshing those conversations about how to get back into the markets. We needed to refresh the conversations about what is the foundation of the country and what are the principles that we need to believe in as Americans. I have a two-prong question. You could take either prong if you'd like, or you could take both. One is, are there any films, they could be classic films, that you really point to as maybe masculinity on parade? And you mentioned sort of the John Wayne notion, which is sort of cliched. And or do you see Lincoln and Grant embracing maybe a Chris Pratt interview or someone like Matthew McConaughey, sort of atypical stars? Or do you want to maybe talk to the people who appear to be far left of center, maybe dig down into what they really think. Because I suspect 
that even the most left-of-center star worked his or her tail off to get where they are and had a great work ethic. And maybe even though you may not agree with them politically, they may have a life lesson that could be of help to the reader. In terms of the conversation about an old movie, I think we see a lot of juxtaposition in some of the older movies. And when I say older, I'm even going to 80s and early 90s. You saw two versions of masculinity. And it's interesting to bring this up because of the last conversation. But look at a movie like Wall Street. You really saw two types of masculine men in that movie, right? You saw the Michael Douglas character who's this sort of picture of today's negative masculinity, right? What they call toxic masculinity. Greed is good. Doesn't matter who you screw over, who you hurt, who you upset, as long as you're taking care of yourself. Now, I think looking at certain economic principles and understanding the country and the ideas of self-interest, we actually do, there is an understanding and justification for that attitude. But then you look at Charlie Sheen's character. He's that masculine man who, instead of saying, I don't like you, I'm going to go get you fired, or I'm going to go tell everybody that you're this mean, horrible person. He competed and he went and said, I'm going to figure out my own way because I'm going to do something good. And he accomplished something really great for his father, for the company, for the family, and did it with the ideas of competition and took the punch at the end, right? There's that whole scene in Central Park when they're all alone and he takes the punch and that's still part of masculinity. It's I'm going to stand up, but I'm going to do it on my own and I'm going to go accomplish something. And you can do great things even while being a masculine man. And I kind of look at that juxtaposition as the ideas that can really show what masculinity can look like. As far as new things, I think there are conversations about with actors today just discussing what were the sacrifices you had to make? Why was one decision important over another? Why did you choose certain things? And really looking at some of the guys who have shown that they understand that what happens in Hollywood and what they represent on film isn't necessarily reality. What happens on film is very different than what's happening in the Midwest and middle America and the flyover states, so to speak. And I'd love to dig deeper with them into why does Hollywood have such a hard time connecting with the actual reality of so many people in this country? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you frame that the way you did with respect and kind of get a connection with your subject, I think you'd be perfectly fine. I think very few people would recoil from that, but I think you have to kind of do it gracefully. And I've just, in interviewing stars over the years, if you kind of approach it in a very gentle, methodical way, you'll get there. But if you jump right in, it might be sort of an issue. But I also think that those are the kind of questions that they wouldn't get asked very often. So they are starved for those questions because usually it's, were you best friends on the set with so-and-so? And how much are you like your character? And that's exhausting. It's interesting because some of the other interviews I've done, I've interviewed a handful of people, maybe not actors, but a handful of people who are not necessarily prepared for the conversation about life and masculinity and culture. And I don't really tell them where we're going right mm -hmm. off the bat. And the first question I always ask is, what was the best piece of advice you ever got from your father or grandfather? And you just see this look come over their face of just relief. <laughs> and this is going to be a fun interview that they can talk about something they love and something yeah. meaningful to them. And it just changes the whole conversation. I feel like we need more of that in general in the country, right? We don't all have to be competing all the time because there are a lot of shared values that came from our cultural heritage that we tend to forget sometimes when we're fighting over Supreme Court justices. and Yeah, there were very few people I'd have a difficult time interviewing. I think maybe Michael Moore would come to mind as far as their politics, their approach to life. But I do think something like Lincoln and Grant could, even if you have a very left of center star, you can still talk about those shared values. You can still talk about things that bring us together and some of the work ethic that's involved there. Real quickly, you've been a media executive for quite some time now. I was kind of curious, starting a venture like this sounds 
tricky. Starting a new website is tricky. It's a very competitive field from a entrepreneurial point of view. What did you glean from all your experience that you're bringing to this that gives you confidence that this will be a success? I think the biggest change that we've seen in media over the last 10, 15 years that a lot of companies have had a hard time embracing that I think is sort of one of our core values is understanding the value of working with the plethora of content creators that are out there. There are too many magazine brands that have been around for 75, 100 years, maybe more, who are sitting and saying, I don't want to talk to that blogger. I don't Mm -hmm. want to work with that podcaster because they're my competitor. We're competing over ad dollars. And the business model had to change. And as a trusted media brand, and as a brand that I hope we can develop trust with our readers and our audience over a long period of time, I want to become that trusted curator as well. I want people to know that when we suggest an article to them, when we suggest a podcast to them, we're doing it because it's valuable content for them. And if we can do that well, the rest of the brand will follow and the revenue will follow and the business will work. But it's about helping to identify who are the right contacts, who are the right brands to engage with. And what ends up happening with that in the interest of masculinity and competition is you start to see all of the other content creators start to do a better job of creating content. If they see opportunities to grow, if they see opportunities to get a bigger audience because the larger brands are willing to promote them, we end up getting a much more successful reach. We end up getting a much better quality of content coming through because everybody's competing to do a better job. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to maybe circle back to my last question, the one before it. Any sort of bucket list guests, celebrities, singers, entertainers that you'd love to just sit down and talk with and pick their brain? Either you admire their work, you think that they've got a great story to tell, just something intrinsically about them is like, wow, I think they'd be a great interview. I like the contrast. I like really sitting down with two people at once and finding two people who contrast quite a bit, but probably share more similarities than they actually realize. I think about sitting down with somebody like Vince Vaughn and Dr. Art Laffer at the same time Mm -hmm. and get an economist and Vince Vaughn, who's just this larger than life personality and have the two of them talking. And I think about that. Art Laffer tells a story quite a bit about when he used to live down the street from our Schwarzenegger and Schwarzenegger was the governor of California and having these conversations with them. I always figured there's some really cool and fun conversations to have. It makes me think of that show. I think it's on CMTN on Axis Crossroads, where they bring two generations of musicians together and have them play each other's songs and talk about it. And I've always just been engaged about how two people can share perspectives. And when they do share some similarities, the things that could come out of that are just incredible. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think that they bring out something unique in each other. And it's slowly realizing, hey, we have a lot in common, even though I may be a 70s blues musician, and I may be a 20-year-old guy who's just starting in business. For people who want to help out with Lincoln and Grant, what can you tell them? How can they kind of put their energy toward this project? Steer us in the right direction. Well, so we'd love everybody to go visit us at LincolnAndGrant.com. It's LincolnAndGrant.com. And what you're going to notice on there is a link to a Kickstarter page. And Kickstarter was a really interesting idea for us in terms of launching this. The reason we did it was really twofold. One, it's important that we develop that grassroots following early on. We don't want to be a slave to some big venture capitalist who wants us to build something as fast as we can to sell it, or who also can control our voice and control our opinions and say, I don't want you to promote that voice or that interest or that organization. But we also wanted 
to make sure that we were hearing your voice. And what you'll see on the Kickstarter page, a lot of our rewards give you direct access to us as a team, whether it's our senior editorial team, whether it's our senior leadership, whether it's some of the people we're doing future recordings and podcasts with, but giving access to share your voice and be an actual part of this. There are too many good, solid people out there who have really great opinions about this stuff. And it's been a real joy for me over the last year hearing and listening to those. And I thought that Kickstarter was a really great way to continue that beyond my immediate network. So like I said, we're looking for people to do advanced subscriptions. That's going to really help us get going. And you can get right to the Kickstarter page by visiting our website at linkedingrant.com. All right. Well, that'll also be on the show notes page. You can check it out there. David, thank you so much for joining the HitCast. Again, Lincoln and Grant, it's a brand new venture. I'm excited about it. This is something that I've been wanting to see for a long time. I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't know it could happen, but it is happening. Wish you all the best with that and more success. And maybe we'll revisit this down the road and have new conversations. Thanks so much. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out hollywoodandtoto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at Hollywood and Toto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.